Well, this morning, as we look to uh, the message this morning, um, we're continuing in this series and what I've simply uh, taken from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, this, this question, what is God? And so as we've been looking at the answer, taking time to look at each one of the attributes of God, of course, this is not exhausted by no means. And you've seen just how one word, there's loads of scripture and there's probably loads of sermons we could preach uh, on each one of those um, attributes. But yet, uh, just to work through this, so when we come to any time of worship, right, that we can sing and know that God is unchangeable. Uh, I cling to that all the time. I don't know about you, and I cling to his, his justice. He's just and the justifier. I cling to his holiness and his power. And we, I cite it often in our prayers. This is who he is. I don't know about you, but I often pray these so I would hear myself saying them, that I would be reminded always, this is who God is. He is eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his being. All the wisdom, knowledge necessary ever-present in his omnipresence. This is who he is. So this morning, as we continue to look at this, we come to the goodness of God. And then by way of introduction, I, you know, I, I put in my notes here that, you know, this might seem with everything going on, especially as you've seen footage of Afghanistan and, and just the wickedness of our world, the lostness of it. It's easy for us to think, where, where, is, where is the Lord? Where is his goodness? And I would respond simply to that, if that was in your mind or, or, uh, or not, that we would respond and say, now more than ever is we need to hear the goodness of God. So powerfully and wonderfully demonstrated at Calvary. You know, we sang that last simple chorus, God is so good, and yet the last stanza of that song says, if there is suffering, if I am enduring heartbreak and problems, Lord, bring me to Calvary. Well, let me see that I have a Savior who's overcome everything in this world. And he rules and he reigns. And he is true. You know, I think it's important by way of also a little bit of an introduction to understand that, you know, oftentimes we like to define what good is. Right? We know in, in Romans eight twenty eight and 29, um, the Lord does good, right, to those who fear his name. But that is in the context of shaping us into the image of his son. We'll read those verses here in a little bit. But the goodness and what God does, how he works in us, the, the ups, the mountaintops and the valleys as he is shaping us. But sometimes we like to define that good, right? Good for me is, you know, an easy day or, or a million dollars or, right, nice new car, whatever that might be. No sorrow or issues or, or peace throughout the world. That would be a good one. But as a believer in maturing in the Lord, we have to come back and say, God defines that good. Because the Lord ultimately knows what is good for us. We go through valleys because that leads us to repentance. It leads us to cry. It leads us to depend on Him. And when we understand that, uh, we begin to see ever more so the hand of God in our lives. If I just simply think I define the goodness, then, then I miss the good things that the Lord is actually doing. And for me, it can be very simple things. 
when that coffee maker finishes making coffee, I say this often, but I've sipped many cups of coffee with praise and thanksgiving to God. Lord, thank you. And of course, it extends to all the other things. If you are here this morning, you know Jesus Christ, that you have every reason despite hardships and difficulty. Every reason, because this is not all there is. This, David said wonderfully, right, as a flower grows, it's here, the wind blows on it, it's gone, its place is remembered no more. But God is unchanging in his love towards you. It's all those in Christ. He'll never stop loving his son. He will never stop loving those who the son has redeemed. Infinitely so, unchangeably so, eternally so. And though our Savior told his disciples, he tells us, right, you're going to have troubles in this world simply because you know me. Take heart, I've overcome it. So it's easy for us to lose sight of the goodness of God with things going on. I pray that this message this morning would bring us back to that. And I don't want to make light of any hardship or difficulties. I don't want to say, hey, just buck up and get over it. By no means. Right? The struggle, the pain, the sorrows, I understand those things. I, too, am human. But in the midst of those things, we trust the Lord. Randy Alcorn, in his, in his book, If God is Good, he cited this story about a lady by the name of Ethel Hare. And she was struggling with cancer, had surgery, because of cancer, came back and found that the cancer was spreading. And one of her friends had asked her, how do you feel about God now? And he records in his book, he said, Ethel Harris responded and said, as I, as I sought to explain what has happened in my spirit, it all became clear to me. God has been preparing me for this moment. He has undergirded me in ways I've never known before. He has made himself increasingly real and precious to me. He has given to me joy such as I've never known before, and I've no need to work at it. It just comes even amidst the tears. He has taught me that he will lead me on whatever journey he chooses, and he will never leave me for a moment on that journey. God is good, no matter what the diagnosis or the prognosis, or the fearfulness of that uncertainty. That's a mature response to a difficulty of life that resonates in, in some of us, in many of us in different ways. Charles Spurgeon said, We cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. He is good. So before we look at this attribute, would you would bow your head one more time and let me offer just a brief prayer. Father, as we look to your word now, as we look to multiple scriptures, and um, we just simply ask that by your spirit, your word would come alive to us, that you would teach us, that none of us would walk out of here the same way, but we would have a growing understanding and, a, and ever more a reason, ever more so a reason to worship you and praise you. So Lord, direct us to you, turn every eye and and uh, soul towards you and get me out of the way and I pray this in Jesus name amen so we come here and I put in your notes again this is this uh, question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism question four what is God God is spirit infinite eternal and changeable and his being wisdom power holiness justice and now we're at goodness and then one more truth Lord willing we'll finish it next Sunday 
So we want to go through this, and we've been setting this apart, that you would understand that um, God is who he is, right? God is true to his word. He is, he is the sole God. He is the one who spoke and set everything in motion. He created everything. We don't want to confuse him or uh, lower him in any way to some type of universalistic idea of God, right? It's the, the common that's, uh, thing that is happening in our culture is this rising of a, a pagan religion. All is God, right? God is universal. It's whatever God you want him to make him out. And we want to maintain the distinction, right? We want to understand this despite uh, what is happening, we will know with sound conviction, this is who God is. That in these moments of difficulties, whether it's a valley or a mountaintop, whether it's a good experience, we will know and have reason to sing and to shout, just like David said in Psalm 103, I'm going to bless his holy name. I'm going to praise him. So we want to remember that distinction. And I want us to always to realize that when we think of goodness, not as some type of I don't want to say a force or something that's, you know, there's good and evil in the world and there's this ongoing struggle that is very popular, right? That there is some type of, you know, yin and yang idea. They're equal and hopefully at the end, right, uh, good will win out. Well, we've read the Bible, right? We've come to the end of the Bible. We've read Revelation and we know, right, the goodness of God will vanquish wickedness. And so we don't want to confuse, have anything that says, well, there's some type of equal power. No, 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 no. We're not reducing it to that. We are going to speak here in a moment about who God is, the goodness that resonates in who he is. It is his attribute. I also want to mention, as we get into this, this is some of the exceptions, some struggle today because uh, they question God's goodness because of hell, the doctrine of hell. How can God be good and send people to hell. Well, we have to realize theologically that God is ultimately not sending anyone to hell. God is a rescuer. Now, he has provided a savior who has saved us from all of us being born and running to hell. God in his holiness, we spoke of this, of these attributes and his justice, said from the very beginning he will punish he must, because otherwise he ceases to be God. He ceases to be holy. He ceases to be just. God cannot be a just God and overlook, simply overlook sin. So that's important for us to understand. And one of the goodnesses that we see of God is that we have breath today to repent, right? While there is breath, there is always hope. And God has given, he so loved the world, he has given a savior so we don't want to confuse and say this is something that God has done. No, we are deserving, right? The slightest sin that we don't even are aware of in our own lives is, is wickedness to God. Remember the angels around the throne of God's holiness. They have no sin, and yet they cover their eyes, they cover their feet, and they sing nonstop, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's immensely holy. He's immensely just unto himself. And God is good. See, while there is breath, as I mentioned, right, we have the opportunity of repentance. And we will see God's long suffering here in a moment. So let's look at this doctrine. This is how I've been just doing all these sermons. Here's the doctrine. Here's some application of it and our evidence of it, our demonstration of it. But as we begin, point one is just simply affirming the doctrine. What do we mean? What does the Bible say? about affirming God is good. 
Well, as I've mentioned, of course, his attributes are unto himself. It's his essence, right? The essence of God and his being. If there was no one on the earth to enjoy God's goodness, God still would be good, right? Before he even created anything, God is good. He is good just as our answer uh, states, right? He is infinitely good. He is eternally good. He's unchangeably good. He doesn't increase in goodness. Why? Because he would cease to be God. He doesn't decrease in his goodness because, again, he would cease to be God. He is unto himself good. He is self-sufficiently good. He is all-sufficiently good. Unto, right, himself. He is good in a supernatural sense of the word. God is absolute perfection and perfect in bliss in himself and in his goodness. Jesus, of course, this sounds funny, was right, right? Jesus was right when he said to the rich young ruler, of course Jesus is right, that's the joke, uh, why do you call me good, right? No one is good except God alone. Now, we understand elements of goodness in our society and the structure of our society, but when we're talking about God's goodness. It transcends all of that. God is good unto himself. There is no darkness in God. He is pure good. His holiness separates us from us. And yet we see his goodness is demonstrated right in the activity of redemption. God's goodness encapsulates God's love, his common grace for all people, his special grace for his elect. It encapsulates his mercy and pity and patience and compassion, his long-suffering and kindness, his gentleness, his benevolence, his generosity, his faithfulness. See, we have to understand that God does not owe us anything because if he owed us something he would cease to be god but because god is love and because god is good and because he desires that we would know him he's given us his word and then he gives us right his son the second person of the trinity god is patient with us that we would what we would repent God takes delight when his children repent of their sins or when one comes to believe on Jesus Christ, he is excited. This is why he is patient and why he is good. And yet we know when we harbor sin, right, it offends him. He is the fountain of good. Psalm 36, 9, another Psalm of David. For the fountain of life is with you. In your light we see light. We enjoy, right, the things that we have now, the hope we have of eternity, the hope we have in a future. It's because God's fountain, right, is full of goodness because it's from God. So I'm going to cite a bunch of scriptures here. And again, if you like my notes, you're more than welcome to them. I don't think they're going to be on the screen. Uh, But I'm going to go through a few of them. Just so you know, I'm not making this up, right? The very beginning, Genesis 1.31, and God saw that he made what he had made, and behold, it was very good, right? We're going to talk about God's goodness through all of creation. In his acts of mercy, Exodus 33.19, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. Psalms 33.5, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full 
of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Run to him, right? Be renewed with the strength of eagles. Psalm 73, 1, God certainly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In the context of that psalm, the psalmist is talking about how he kept our foot from slipping. I didn't cite anything from Psalm 103. Again, go read that psalm. It's loaded with the goodness of God. Psalm 106.1, God certainly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The context of that is despite our rebellion. Even our rebellion, God is good. Psalm 106.44 and 46, he keeps his covenant, right? Nevertheless, he looked at their distress when he heard their cry and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented. According to the greatness of his mercy, he also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Those that hauled them off found pity on them because God is good. Psalm 118 begins and ends with these words. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Psalm 119.68, we see the goodness attached to his word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. God's goodness is right now. There's time of repentance. Ezekiel says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why should you die, house of Israel? See God's goodness to all his creatures in Acts 14, 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Paul in 2.4, a very uh, familiar verse, or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Just a few more. Romans 8, 28 and 29, as I mentioned earlier, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. James also says, for every good thing, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And then John grabs all the goodness of God and redemption. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is, excuse me in this is love not that we love god but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And again, I could add many other, and I've actually cut some out of this list, but you see the overarching work of God's goodness from creation to every soul, to those in Christ, to those outside of Christ. God is good unto himself, and we see it demonstrated in his creation. So we come to this. The second part is, how is this evidence? What are some ways that we can focus in and say, Lord, when I speak of your goodness, I'm, I'm citing specifically these things. I've listed five here. First, I've mentioned this one already before, but A says, God's goodness is evidenced to all creation. Right? While we are breathing, God is good. Every soul. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all his works. David touched on that in Psalm 103, right? All his works, you repent, believe, bless his name, all you his works. Again to Psalm 145, this time verses 15 and 16 say, The eyes of all look to you, meaning God, and you give them their food in in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. See, when we speak of God's goodness, it's evidenced in his benevolence, right? The Lord is good. He does not uh, discriminate upon his creatures, right? Upon the planet, he is good to, to animals. He's good to humans, even though none of us deserve it. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And that's where Paul says, do not see the goodness of God in Romans 2, 4. The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. So we have to understand that while we are breathing, we can see right, the goodness of God in creation. He extends that goodness to every single soul. And yet when we come to the second letter B, God's goodness is evidenced by his love. This is where we see a, a distinguishing thing between those in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. So God has love for mankind, right? He loves every soul because he is the creator of every soul and he is good in his own way to each. And this is called common grace. You may have heard that before. God has common grace for every soul. Every person inside or outside of Christ is provided for. There is food or means of food. There is protection and services within the community. The Lord is looking out for all these activities for all of his children. However... Right? God's love and his goodness does not eclipse his holiness and his justice. And it's not incompatible right, with his wrath. It's God's love and wrath are both necessary to his being. So this is why we, we come to this element and as we speak, preached on and hopefully you've grabbed hold of the holiness and the justice of God that we would not confuse and say God, Lord cease to be holy or cease to be just because you are good but God is good in his justice and he is good in his holiness of course so he has provided a way for us because no one comes into his throne room of grace Right, a very popular verse is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here is the goodness of God. 
God because there's nothing forcing him to activity, nothing forcing him to love us. He goes to action. He has said this. This is why God, it's so important to know that he is unchanging. As Malachi says, he changes not. This is why you're not consumed. Because God said in the back in Genesis chapter 3, a Savior would come. Next week we will proclaim, right, the gospel, a time of, of remembrance of what Jesus teaches us, the new covenant in his blood, right? We take time to do that. Here is the fulfillment. God so loved the world. Jesus prayed in that garden, betrayed by his friend, by, abandoned by the disciples, Willingly goes to the cross, has all the power necessary to call down legions of angels, yet willingly says, nail, his hands nailed to a cross. This is the gospel. So God, for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's not a common grace as to all mankind, it is a, now a special grace. God has a different love for those who have believed on Christ. 1 John 3 one says, see how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be children of God, and in fact we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So God's goodness is demonstrated in his love. But his goodness must also deal with justice. So we spoke last week of Romans three twenty four through 26, how is God just? How is God the justifier? This retributive justice is poured out upon sin. And his distribution of his justice is given to those who have repented of their sins. God doesn't overlook sin. He had to deal with our sin. So when God condemns the unrepentant sinner to hell, he is not being bad. He is still good. He is demonstrating his justice, just as he said. It is simply impossible for God to be bad, and he takes no pleasure in the horrible end of the unrepentant. This is why we must be speaking of the gospel, speaking of the sin problems, why we must be awakened to God's answer to our problem. Because outside of Christ, there really is no hope. So we see a common grace and a special grace and his love. It's God's goodness to us. Letter C says God's goodness is evidenced by his grace. We have no claim, right, to redemption. We have nothing in which to barter with to come before God and say, you know what, I'm pretty good. You should save me, right? But what will you give me? That's, that's the funny thing. Often we may treat it that way, but it is unmerited goodness that we experience the love of God. See, God's grace is the solution to all of the spiritual blessings for sinners. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. Oh, the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. God who is love is compelled. He extends this grace, right? He calls us. The gospel call is given. And we come and we repent and we say, Lord, thank you for your grace. That is truly amazing. See, God's grace opens the door to redemption. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is the message of redemption to the world. 
God's goodness and his grace, Acts 14, 3. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be performed in their hands. Right? God's grace extended to the lost. We see, uh, by grace, sinners receive the gift of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not something we have done. It's the gift of God. By grace we are justified, Titus 3, 7. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, we need to speak of God's goodness today. It is common in the church to simply say, let's downplay sin. Let's downplay words such as repentance. And yet Jesus begins his earthly ministry with the word repent. See, we don't experience, right? God's grace is something like, well, we have grace and we'll sing this song and, and maybe or maybe not we'll sing Amazing Grace. I don't know. That's not even popular today, but... Um, we miss sight of God's grace. We don't understand his grace and his mercy because we don't understand that we have a sin problem and that God has been good to us because he has given us Savior. And it's not just that we have provision in our lives and health and all these other things. No, we have an eternal hope that is an infinite hope, a true hope. This is the grace is extended to us. It's a message that must be preached. We have to understand that you and I have a problem. God has the answer. I pray that you would agree with me in prayer when we pray for the church that there would be an awakening to the seriousness of sin. That when that happens, there would be an awakening to the graces of God and the mercies of God and the salvation only from God in Christ. So we see it evidenced in his love and his grace. Indeed, it is evidenced in his mercy. Often we attach the word tender mercy, right? It's mercy that is tender and compassionate. We often see these uh, connected with grace. But God has, has mercy for us. We are completely undeserving. We can't earn our way or come to right status, but yet he has mercy. And God loves us so much, he doesn't simply lower the bar for some and keep it high for others. He, he allows us to meet that in Christ. God's mercy pictures a pitiful, a pitiful condition of mankind as one who is bearing the consequences of, of sin and therefore is in need of help. And God's answer again is, here is my son. We look at a few scripture passages. His mercy, it endures forever. Of course we know that. It's God's mercy. Psalm 136. His mercy is mentioned alongside grace often. His mercy is shown to them who fear God, Psalm 86. His mercy is over all his works, Psalms 145. His mercy is given to those who fear him. We saw that this morning in the, in the scripture reading, and Luke also speaks of it. But it's important to understand that God's mercy is not opposed to his, again, his justice. God today is merciful to those who will repent. God has immense mercy. It's his goodness. But we also must understand that God is being merciful to those who don't repent in his justice. 
And this brings naturally to, the, to the last, my last point here is God's goodness is evidenced by his long-suffering. We see the heart of God by his forbearance, his patience. Both the Hebrew words used for this and the Greek words express an idea of, of long of face or slow to anger. What a patient God he is with us. Speaking of the saints in the Old Testament, those sins he overlooked, all those Israelites who were frustrated in Malachi's day saying, where is the God of justice? And the Lord responding through Malachi saying, you know, you, because I change not, you're, you're not consumed. I will send my messenger. I will send my son. Paul grabs hold of that and explains that in Romans 3.25, whom God displayed publicly, speaking of Christ, as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. See, Peter grabs hold of that to those who are, who are longing and leery of God not returning. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What an amazing God we serve. How often we respond with, Lord, you haven't met goodness on my terms. Lord, you haven't been good because it didn't work out like this. And yet, we are the same ones who've experienced God's goodness through his love, through Calvary. Experienced his grace that brought us, his mercy that overlooked the train wreck of our past. The sin, the problems, the care, he's been patient. The same God who is good and he leads you. He directs your life that you would come and repent Paul says again, and I've said this verse a few times, Romans 2, 4. And I would say to each and every one of us, do not despise the riches of his goodness. The riches of his forbearance. The riches of his long-suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. We allow God to define that good when we begin to see, regardless of the situations you're walking through, we begin to see a hand of providence, a hand of goodness, a hand of confidence that you can have in him. You can trust and realize that this is going to work out to his purpose, his glory. He's taken the time to shape me into the image of his son. He's got a lot of work to do. I don't know about you, but in me, he's got a lot of work to do. God's goodness leads us to repentance. The believer maturing in this, we have to understand that even the hard things of life, the difficulties of life, right, the, the Lord is directing you 
may leave us with questions and we may have more questions than answers, but we come back and we realize that, Lord, your love for me is infinite. Your grace to me is, is eternal. Your mercy is unchangeable. And I know that even through this, you are a God who doesn't depart. So, Lord, help me to change the conversation to simply why, to what. Lord, not just why. If you don't give me the why, then give me what are you teaching. Help me to learn. Lord, bring me to a place like David that says, let me delight in your law. Over and over again, we see it in David's life and in Paul's life. and in most, Lord, bring me to a place that I would call upon you. Let me realize, Lord, that what I'm going through is, is your goodness to me somehow, some way. Let me have faith enough to realize that you're not absent. You are good. So as we come to some simple elements of application, this last point, applying God's goodness, I simply say, and I put these in your notes, believers should think deeply, right? Give time. Think about God's goodness. Consider God's redemption, his activity in your life and what he's done. Let this foster the right response, elements of love and goodness to him. B, believers should tell, right? Don't be quiet about this. Encourage one another with what is, uh, is happening in your life, what the Lord is doing. It's good for us to hear testimony. Psalm 66, 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Let me tell you what the Lord is doing in my life. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you where I'm, where I'm struggling in faith, so you will be praying for me. But let me tell you this, and this is what he's doing. Believers should reciprocate God's goodness. Right? We love, obey, and serve because what? He first did this for us. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Excuse me, loved us. Let us be full of this understanding, right? And in Luke 7, 47, where Jesus says, But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Let us realize what the Lord has done in us. Let us realize his goodness that we would be full of praise. Letter D, believers should imitate God's goodness. Right? To all mankind. The world desperately needs to see, right, the goodness of God through his church and through his children. Luke 6, 35 through 36. The love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to, excuse me, kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. We should be tender-hearted and full of forgiveness, Ephesians 4:32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's not hold grudges. Let's imitate the goodness of God. Much has been forgiven me. I should be full of forgiveness for my brothers and sisters. Believers, letter E, believers should anticipate God's goodness. Right? This underscores in Matthew 7, where Christ says in 7:11, If you then, being evil, speaking of fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Right? We should pray. Nothing wrong with praying for God's goodness to direct us away from the why to the what. 
growing and having eyes to see that even in the midst of difficulty, Lord, teach me. But we should be praying for the souls of family members and co-workers. We should be praying that, Lord, give us, right by your Spirit, the power of the gospel to see lives changed. Strengthen your church. Anticipate God's goodness and awakening. That's who he is. F, believers should appreciate God's goodness. Should characterize our lives. I know where I'm spending eternity, right? I know in whom I have believed. And lastly, believers should worship God for his goodness. Ever more so. Unto himself he is worthy. And yet for his goodness, it should move us. It should bring us with right reverence, the attitude of worship. Now here in a moment, we're going to close by singing, it's a simple chorus, Good, Good Father. And I was struck as I was putting these songs, and many have, have made mention of the songs all having the word good in them, if you picked up on what we were preaching on. But verse 2 of this simple chorus says, I've, been, I've seen excuse me, many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide. then I believe it's Chris Tomlin who wrote this, is because you know just what we need before we say a word. Now, if you sing that chorus without understanding God's goodness, it's just some simple words, yeah, he's good. But if we begin to realize and know that God has been good and his love, his special love to me, and his grace undeserving and mercy that he has for me, in the midst of difficulty, I can. I've, I've seen others who are going without this answer. The world is looking for Christ, even though they don't know it. And today I have this answer. Lord, there are those searching, but I know who you are. And I know we're searching for answers only you provide. Lord, make sense of my life, but those who are in Christ can see it. I understand, Lord, you're shaping me into the image of my son because you know, and only he knows, just exactly what we need because he is good.